0: Hello ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning
1: in to AOA today. We've got a lot coming on today's program. We're going to talk markets here with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing in just a moment. And then in segment two, we're going to dive into the cattle industry. Brett Kenzie, president of RCalf, will be joining us. They've got their annual meeting coming up here when we get to August. He's going to talk about that and the White House meeting on competition he was a part of here just a week or so ago. In segment three, we're going to get an update on the sunflower industry. John Sandbach, an executive director for the National Sunflower Association, will be joining us. We're going to talk through the recent uh, escalation in tensions in the Black Sea and what it's doing to soybean prices, excuse me, sunflower prices. And then we're going to close the show with our friend Josh Linville taking a look at fertilizer ahead of the fall season. Let's dive into it first, though, with the markets. Dwayne Bussey, Bolt Marketing, Britain, South Dakota, joins us now. And Dwayne, it seems like we're coming back from those
2: lows that we set in the overnight. Yeah, we are a little bit, you know, corn was moderately lower overnight, uh, thinking a little bit of profit taking going into the weekend. But I think the profit taking may have been this morning on the fun side of things around 830 is when usually the managed funds, what I call them, would like to get out of some positions. And I think that's what they did. They got out of some short positions, probably don't want to be be short this market over a a big weekend where everyone's questioning how much is the Russia Ukraine war going to escalate over the weekend.
1: Dwayne, that's the thing. We've got two, at least two different factors happening here in the grain markets right now. We've got the weather factor still in play. Oh, we'll weird. talk about your take on what's coming forecast wise in a minute. We've also got this Russian factor, this escalation of tensions in the Black Sea. What do you think the trade is watching for over the weekend with regard to Russia?
2: Well, I, I think we're just wondering what they're going to do next. You know, so what, for three nights in a row, they they bombed the Odessa ports, which of course is, is bad whenever you, you bomb the infrastructure of a major facility that can get a lot of grain out to the world that's that's a bad thing and then of course you know the political talk back and forth they're going to bomb any ships that might have any military cargo on it and then ukraine says they're going to do the same thing so tensions are obviously very high and what it did this week mike is it created a lot of bullish you would call sexy headlines for the girls to trade the girls are what i would call the computer programs that just leak look for certain keywords in a headline and try to get in the market before anyone else does. That is to me, what really drove the corn market sharply higher this week. And you know, when you have bombs, <laughs> Odessa port, <laughs> um, that's a pretty sexy headline for them to buy. It is. It is Dwayne. As we take a look at the wheat market,
1: though, that weakness is still very prevalent. Chicago down 12 to 13 cents here, not seeing that that fear transition to, to buying over there in wheat what's happening there.
2: No, you know, so we had the headlines. It drove the market up. But when you look at the rest of the world, there wasn't the panic buying this week we saw a year ago when the Russia Ukraine war started. You didn't see different countries go out and buy a bunch of wheat because they were worried they weren't going to get it out of Ukraine. And actually, if anything, the global prices have been pretty calm this week. And Russia prices overnight, you know, were announced that they're about $40 to $50 a ton cheaper than. Ah, uh, Europe wheat, French wheat, and that that wheat's of course even cheaper than our wheat. So I think maybe we got back to little fundamentals this morning of like, well, the rally's fun, but it doesn't mean we're exporting any more wheat out of this country.
1: You mentioned there, uh, Dwayne, that the Ukrainians have said they will target ships heading to and from Russian ports in the Black Sea as well. I assume that includes grain ships coming from Russia.
2: That's what we assumed in the headlines and what the Algoros sure assumed. So. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we start bombing, you know, grain ships. That's going to be a big deal. But I, I, I'm i hoping and praying, I guess, this is all just a lot of talk, uh, upset leaders going back and forth. Because if Russia, say, would bomb a wheat cargo shipment from NATO headed out somewhere, I mean, that's how you get <laughs> uh, U.S. involved in the war. So I, I don't think they want to do that, obviously. It's just just a lot of threats. But it scared the market this week, didn't it?
1: It certainly did. No doubt the trade will be watching to see how it develops over the weekend, as you mentioned there, Dwayne. In the meantime, we still have weather concerns on this crop in production across North America. As you take a look at the soybean market here, as we prepare to head into August, Dwayne, is there still some upside potential in that November contract here at uh, 14 and change?
2: Well, I, I think there is still upside potential, but you need more than what the weather forecast is right now. You know, the futures market is very good at at looking at what the weather is going to be next week not what it is this week next week and next week we've got this you know a couple of days of searing heat maybe even 105 in iowa but to me that's priced in that's what got us above 14 this week to go much higher than that you're gonna have to see when we get into trading next week you need to see the extended forecast also hot and dry which Got some kind of counter stories to that where, you know, Noah and a few other forecasters are saying eventually August turns into cool and damp, which is normally the case in an El Nino. So like always, weather markets, you got two sides to it. And, And next week's extended forecast will be key.
1: It certainly will. Dwayne, we've also got a forecast coming for the cattle herd later on Friday. We've got the big cattle inventory report looking at the past six months of changes in herd size, plus the monthly cattle on feed report. Mm Dwayne, we saw a 50 cent rally in the corn market this past week, and yet feeders are still holding right in that trend channel with October right around 250. That's got to be a good sign for this feeder market.
2: I I think it really is, too. It's a sign of how strong that cash market is, too. The cash market is catching up to the futures market, even though the futures market hasn't really pulled back much. We had a big premium futures to cash, but no, that cash is just trending higher, showing that the inventories are down. and, And maybe the traders in the feeder market at least think this corn rally might be just temporary, which I guess I would kind of lean and agree with them as well. So, yeah, this feeder market looks... Very strong. um, You know, (laughs) obviously you go quite a bit higher this fall yet, uh, but we'll just have to see. It's going to depend on the numbers and probably the price of corn.
1: Yeah, I think you're exactly right there. That corn certainly has an impact. Dwayne, with regard to the numbers, are we expecting any big adjustments either on the, the big cattle inventory report or the cattle on feed coming later today?
2: trade estimates are looking for a reduction in both slightly, which is obviously very expected. We, we know the herd size was decreasing the last two years as it, drought you know ravished the Western Plains. Uh, so it shouldn't shock the market. I, I, I don't really see these being uh, big Market drivers come Monday morning. But now uh, well, the second I say that about any government report, I usually get shocked myself. But we're looking for a little uh, cattle on feed about, you know, 2 percent lower than year over year. And let's see what that marketing is. That, that's the number I'm going to be watching to see if we're still moving this product.
1: And what are you expecting to see on the marketing side, Dwayne? For our listeners who aren't plugged into the beef industry, what does sure. that marketing number mean?
2: Yeah, right now the trade estimate is looking for 95% year over year on the marketing. So that means how much meat was moved from the packer to the supermarket during the last month. Like I said, I'd love to see it up just a little bit more than that, showing that demand is strong. And you know, But I get it, boxed beef prices are near record high as well, so it costs a lot to move the product. But demand just seems strong because we still got choice boxed beef over $300. So it looks like it's still strong to me.
1: It certainly does. I tell you what, I had the chance to head into the grocery store about a week ago, was at the meat case, and it was packed. I know what the prices are, but those consumers are lining up to pay them, at least for now, providing some support to the market. Folks, we've been talking about what's developing in the commodity trade with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing. And Dwayne, as always, thank you so much for joining us here on AOA and sharing your insight.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike.
1: Folks, stick around. We're going to continue our focus on the cattle complex when AOA returns. Brent Kenzie, president of RCAF, will be joining us. We're going to talk about how they're working to improve competition, particularly in the meat space. Leave it here. More AOA coming up in just a minute.
0: Hi, this is Mike Pearson, you're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
1: Join us every Tuesday for Round the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers
0: and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues
1: today and next we're going to turn our focus to competition, competition in the meat space. This has been an issue that the administration has been working on and it was brought to their attention by, well, several groups in the world of agriculture, not least of them RCAF, Ranchers and Cattlemen's Legal Defense Fund. Joining us now is president of RCAF, Brett Kenzie, South Dakota rancher. Brett, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today.
5: Hey, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on.
1: You know, as we think about uh, how this administration addresses competition across the meat industry, I understand you recently had the chance to head to the White House and participate in a listening session. Brett, can you fill us in on what that's like?
5: Well, you bet. The White House National Economic Council and the Office of Public Engagement and USDA had this listening session. Uh, we were we were thankful a couple years ago for the administration's executive order on competition, and I guess... Uh, really pleasantly surprised to see them double back to that again and to invite I think there were 16 organizations there for their perspective and uh, it was just great to get out there and share the perspective of the independent American cattlemen
1: Brett when you were sitting there when you're talking to these officials from the White House what is the message you are bringing from our calf members to DC?
5: well you know the focus of this is on competition. So I covered some legislative support for things like MCOOL for the OFF Act, you know, and these, they're all important with competition, but maybe what's really unique about what's going on right now is this effort to enforce, you know, to clarify the rules of the Packers and Stockyards Act of 1921 and to enforce it. And so that was, that was the thrust of my comments. And honestly, a lot of the others as well, uh, you know. As we as we revisit the th- the thing that I hear from more ranchers than any other single thing, maybe besides in reference to M Cool, is why doesn't the government just enforce the laws on the books? And uh, I, I think that's what's trying to be done here. And I think that you know we we've shown the trajectory of the industry. We've got the smallest cow herd in sixty years. We've We've lost 40% of our cow-calf producers, 70% of our independent feedlots. We've got a country that's awash in debt, and uh, maybe we need to look back to see how to go forward.
1: You know, this administration, Brett, as you mentioned, they have been on this issue, at least talking about this issue, since they came into power in 2020. Have you seen on the ground any improvement in enforcing the existing laws so
0: far?
5: Well, you know how it is in Washington. When all is said and done, a lot gets said, and not not a lot gets done. But yeah, I think that there is there's just a greater general awareness of the dangers of not enforcing antitrust law. You know, we we see an active Federal Trade Commission, and you know we've, we've got investigations ongoing into this cattle deal. You know, the the anti-competitive practices occurring and. Yeah, I, th- I think that there is emphasis. So we need to get the Democrats and the Republicans to come together to just have an honest dialogue about how important competition is. You know, competition really serves as our country is, is based on trying to avoid accumulated power. And so we, we have checks and balances, you know, throughout our government to avoid accumulated power in government. But I think that as as we look at our private industry and corporate industry that the ultimate check of power there is this competitive market where there's a clear handoff between producers, processors, and then again from the processors to to uh, retailers, and then yet again from the retailer to the consumer, and uh, that's that's what we need to get back to. You know, people people are afraid of vertical integration because that's, well, that's the opposite of competition, and so... You know, I'm excited with this meeting. I'm excited to see that this administration is going to stand firm. Uh, the Republicans in the House uh, party line vote to defund the Packers and Stockyards enforcement effort. It just, uh, I, I don't know how to put words to it, Mike. It feels like we're caught in the middle, you know, between the R's and the D's, and I wish that they would both just sit down and look at the facts and, uh, maybe keep the American people in mind as they go forward with some of these considerations that are only going to pick up speed as we near the, the, the actual farm bill.
0: Well, and
1: that's exactly where this is all pointing, Brett. I'm so glad you brought that up. These issues are huge. You're not the only one who said we feel trapped between the Republicans and Democrats in this political environment in D.C., and yet it's this environment that we have to try to craft policy in. Now, you mentioned some of the legislative efforts you're keeping an eye on, the MCOOL bill, the OFF Act. What other issues is RCAF pushing here ahead of the Farm Bill, Brett?
5: Well, you know, we've got our Farm Bill platform where we address, you know, a lot of things, especially maybe meat import standards. You know, over the last 20 or 30 years, we've, we've decreased our import standards in terms, you know, it feels like every effort has been made to get more global meat into this country. And while I fully recognize the value of imports and exports and trade, you know, it has to be fair, it has to be on a level playing field, and and light quality has to be light quality. So, you know, that's important. One of the interesting things that came up in the meeting, uh, you know, it was just round robin. They went from one organization to another. Uh, I didn't have a chance to hit Brazil, but USCA hit Brazil, and and, uh, NCBA hit the Brazilian issue as well, and much to my surprise, NCBA and USCA both seem to feel—I shouldn't say much to my surprise. It was just good to hear that they both feel that there's really no need to be importing beef from Brazil at this point because of the the past conduct. And then others go into the environmental concerns. But I think just the the conduct of that organization has maybe given us enough reason to take a look at why we're even importing meat from that country. So. I guess I kind of cut out a line and told the attendees there that I hope they heard angels sing because all three major cattle organizations agree on something. It, so it is I, a
1: place I, where there is a lot of uniformity in thinking as we look at the industry, right? You're exactly right.
5: Well, and, and you know, maybe that was the other thing that I really wanted to take and, and get out on the table there is that this is this is just about perspectives. You know, the beef industry often is going to have different perspectives than the cattle industry. There are going to be places where our interests overlap. There are going to be places where our interests diverge. And, uh, you know, again, I'm just thankful to have had the opportunity to go out there and share our perspective and hope that that adds some some flavor to the conversation out there and the deliberations going into Farm Bill because, you know, we, we, we do need each other. We do have to keep people fed Uh you know, the, the, I'm a simple guy, and just, it not only helps them with their perspective, it helps me with mine. I, I cannot believe how many people we have to keep fed. It's easy to be out here in the country, and, uh, you know, I've probably got ten neighbors within five miles of me, but you, you go and you start hitting the airports, you fly into these cities and over these cities, and uh, really we do have to work together to keep producers producing processors processing and consumers consuming this great product which is american beef
1: absolutely we've got to make sure that american consumer that global consumer can continue to find as much american brief and bring that value back to rural america where we like to see it stay brett you mentioned deliberations happening happening ahead of the farm bill arcaf is going to be doing a lot of those deliberations in august on the 17th and 18th can you fill us in on the annual convention
5: Well, you bet. Like you said, August 17th and 18th, we'll have our convention. Uh, I'll tell people up front, lest I forget, that they can visit rcafconvention.com for the registration, the itinerary, and the details. Uh, It's a very different uh, meeting than you'll probably go to anywhere else. We go real hard for two days. Uh, Crash course on education, policy development. We have our... The the evening before the convention, the board gets together and our affiliates and committee members, and that's kind of how we begin policy considerations that we can then take to the membership. Uh, Thursday, we start running with a prayer breakfast, and then we go on to legislators, trade specialists. Zach Ducheneau is going to be out there. He's a South Dakota guy, so it's always nice to have him there. He understands the problems that real cattlemen face. Committee updates, property rights, speakers—the list goes on and on. So,
3: absolutely, You're
1: going to dig into a little bit of Dutch ag and the pushback on some of the government policies, right?
5: Well, you know, as, as our country evolves, as our problems evolve, I guess our calf evolves too. You know, we've always been the pro-american group and now we're you know dealing with sovereignty and now we're moving into defending ourselves against uh radical global environmentalism and so we'll have tracy hunt and eva vledinger i believe <laughs> from yeah. the netherlands to talk about their fights for the the ability to farm and keep people fed
1: rcafconvention.com
0: to learn more that's brett Kenzie, president of rcaf Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up.
6: At YMCA Summer Camp, kids find their why. Friendship and fun, a world of adventure beneath a golden sun. Running, laughing, full of wonder, being themselves is second nature. Summer Camp is where they begin to unlock the confidence that lies within. When kids find new passions, they find their why. Summer camp season starts soon. Learn more at ymca.org for a better us.
7: It's 4 a.m., Monday, and you're literally sucking baby snot through a tube because she's congested. Man, that's love. And if you love her that much, love her enough to make sure she's buckled in the right car seat. To make sure your child's in the right seat for their age and size, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
8: You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Rispet with this market update. The grains are mixed but mostly lower today, with Chicago wheat leading the descent. Wheat especially is feeling the pressure today on improved weather forecasts. Also, Russia is supplying mass amounts of cheap wheat for the market. Russia, though, did target Ukraine port infrastructure for a fourth consecutive night last night, making it clear that it fully intends to stop movement of grain and other food products through the ports, Russia seems to be following a two-phase plan to do so. First, it's attacking the ports to disable them to the best of its ability, while second, it's creating fear among shippers to keep them from approaching Ukrainian waters. Russia has stated that all ships moving toward Ukrainian waters will be considered as possible carriers of military equipment that would make them potential targets, and it's also following those statements with reports that it's practicing targeting moving ships and training personnel on taking over ships. There is a special meeting at the UN Security Council scheduled for today that will most likely be discussed The current escalation in the Black Sea region has brought a fresh round of volatility to world food prices with added support from India's ban on rice exports. Now, this raises risks for world food inflation once again, impacting economies around the world in addition to impacting the ability of people to eat. This week's developments aren't going to immediately lead to widespread food shortages, but they do significantly reduce the safety net should something happen to reduce Russian wheat shipments. Russia will also be reducing crude oil exports by 500,000 barrels per day, Day starting next month on top of the 1 million barrel per day reduction started this month by Saudi Arabia on top of the reductions already in place by OPEC. Slowly, the energy balance sheet is turning over with traders talking less about poor demand, but rather now talking about supply falling short of demand in a world where stimulating fresh supply may be more challenging. Also, the 200-day crude oil moving average has been a point of significance for crude oil prices that does bear watching. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed
5: Council.
0: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson
1: welcome back ladies and gentlemen here on aoa of course we like to keep track of what's happening in the markets we've talked corn beans wheat cattle and hogs quite a bit but we also like to focus in on the other sectors throughout agriculture to continue to see movement and over the past two years i've learned a lot about the sunflower industry both domestically and globally by talking with john Sandbach. he serves as the executive director for the national sunflower association and he joins us today with an update on the industry john thanks for taking the time to talk with us today well, thank you for having me on your program today, Mike. Let's first get the feel of how this sunflower crop looks across the country. John, at the start of the month here, of course, we got the acreage report from the USDA, saw some shocks to corn and soybean acreage. Were there any big changes to sunflower acreage this year? You know, we're down about
9: 20% on our overall acres from where we were last year at this time. And, you know, we had last year in 2022, we had the second highest yield ever for sunflower in the United States. And so you know, there was quite a bit of seed in the bin. And usually when you've got a situation like that, you kind of, you know, kind of acres get kind of pushed back a little bit in the following year. So not much of a surprise, but, you know, right now the crop is looking fantastic. And I'm thinking, you know, we're going to have another nice crop here in 2023.
1: Oh, wow, John, I'm glad to hear the crop is looking fantastic. I was going to ask you next about how conditions look because sunflower is produced in a very wide geographic expanse. You've got North and South Dakota, you've got Kansas, you've got Texas. Across the board, how are the states all doing okay? You know, it, you know, in most states, we, we were a little
9: bit concerned in the high Plains states in Colorado and Kansas because of the drought situation there. But you know, they've really been receiving a lot of rain here ever since, you know, May and, and into, especially into June. And so the crop just looks unbelievable for the High Plains region. And, you know, we're really seeing, you know, good, good prospects, I think, for a decent crop. On the Dakotas, it's it's getting a little bit drier in places, but sunflower is pretty drought tolerant. And, you know, it, it looks good. We're into the bloom stage, you know, just starting that right now. Um, and so that'll really get going on here in the next few weeks. And Overall, I would see crop conditions look very
1: good. Crop conditions look good. John, on top of that big crop from 2022, I would imagine that heading into this growing season, prices were were lower than they were heading into last year's growing season. Is that correct? Well, you know, you know definitely the last year, you know we're we're probably,
9: you know about, about half of where we were fifty percent of where we were last year's time. but then we had that war premium tacked onto when when Russia invaded Ukraine and we were at over forty dollars. You know, and right now we're hanging in that twenty one to twenty two dollar range and um, it's just one of those things that obviously the war premium is not going to continue to exist um, that we had last year. But overall, historically, when you look at sunflower prices, you know, we're, we're definitely above the average historically.
1: John, that's incredible. So, in 2022, the price of sunflowers was up at forty dollars. This year, we're down twenty-one, twenty-two. So, we're almost half the price. Can you fill our audience in, who maybe aren't connected to the world of sunflowers, why did the Russian invasion of Ukraine have such an outsized impact on sunflower and sunflower oil pricing?
9: Well, if you take those two countries combined, Russia and Ukraine, they represent about seventy-five to eighty percent of all the sunflower oil that's exported in the world. I mean, they're the largest producers. And you know what when, when Russia invaded Ukraine, it just created a lot of uncertainty in the market. And, and some of a lot of the supplies, obviously from Ukraine, were shut off from the rest of the world. And so everybody was scrambling trying to find oil and and fulfill their needs, and especially on the short-term basis. And so it just really ramped up oil, all oil prices here in the US, but especially sunflower, because of you know that need to find new sources of sunflower oil. And so our seed prices responded um, and had the producers had the
1: best prices ever in, in the history of sunflower. And now, of course, we've got Russia and Ukraine back in the news. John, part of the reason I wanted to have you on right now was because we do have this escalation of tensions in the Black Sea region. We've seen the markets respond in both corn and wheat over the past week. Have you seen a market response in the sunflower trade? You know,
9: definitely. Both for old crop and new crop, we're up about 10 to 20 percent for where we were just a week ago. And I think it's some of that, you know, fear is creeping back into the market about supply Um, and it's it's getting domestic buyers and even like other North American buyers looking to the U.S. to secure their supplies. And so I, I think that the crushers are seeing that. And that's obviously why seed prices have gone up, because right now, you know, supposedly the Russians have said that, you know, they're going to blockade the ports once again. And any ship that comes in, they're going to consider it to be an enemy ship, even if it's a commercial ship. And from what I've read... Um, it's, it's just about impossible right now to get any kind of insurance. And most shipping companies do not want to have their ships going into the Black Sea because they don't want to obviously take that risk. So it, it's just going to create more, more market uncertainty and
1: just, you know, better prospects for sunflower prices here in the months ahead. John, as we think this through, looking from the industry-wide perspective, as you do as the executive director of the National Sunflower Association, are you hearing questions from processors perhaps looking to expand their processing capacity here in the U.S. or or maybe leaving Eastern Europe to, to expand here? Or is the industry still hoping they can go back to getting all their supplies from the Black Sea region at some point? You know, I really, you know, I don't
9: have a good answer for that right now. I think it's, you know, this is going to be the second time that this has happened. And the longer the Ukraine-Russia conflict continues to drag out, it's going to get people to think about alternatives. And it's going to be something that they're going to look at, you know, where they're at as far as how they've been sourcing their product, their, you know, the channels that they're going to have to take it through. And whenever something like this happens, it always makes people a little bit more, comfortable buying from the U.S. because obviously we're stable, um, just great facilities and and that ability to deliver the products. So, you know, I think the longer this drags out, the more and more appealing it's going to be to buy U.S. oil.
1: That is good to hear, John. Are are we I guess I should ask, are you expecting to see increased purchases of U.S. oil be used here domestically, perhaps in the U.S. or Canada, where we have some facilities to do it? Or could this be a year we see uh, more soybean exports moving overseas? Well, you know, for sunflower exports, John, I apologize. No,
9: no, that's fine. That's fine. Actually, you know, our domestic demand here in the U.S. for sunflower oil has grown just at a, a, in the last five years, we've seen a 67% increase in domestic consumption for sunflower oil in the U S and in Canada. Um, You know, that's our two biggest markets. We're we're the main supplier obviously in the U S and especially in Canada. And so, you know, the future looks really bright, especially with renewable diesel being such a a huge factor in the market. I mean, there's going to be a lot of oil that's going to be displaced into the diesel market. And, you know, sunflower is just here. We're ready to fill in that demand on the food side, you know, to, because obviously we're going to, the demand for oil is not going to get smaller. It's going to increase in the future years. So, and I think we're in a really good position to fulfill that need. Uh, sunflower oil is 40 percent oil content in the seeds and bean oil is only 20 percent. So we we can provide twice the amount of oil that, that soybeans could.
1: That's fascinating, John. And as you look out to the future, I'm hoping we just to uh, spend a little time on this oil being used uh, for fuel discussion. You anticipate sunflower oil perhaps not going into biodiesel production, but instead replacing the food aspect of that soybean oil that is going into production. Is that right? Definitely, definitely. You know, we're, all, we're always a
9: premium priced oil versus sun, versus soybean or canola. And, and our role is to be in the food industry. That's where we have our, the best applicability of the oil. Um, and that's where the demand is going to be. And as you pull off more soybean and more canola oil into renewable diesel, obviously that's going to be replaced. And so for us being a very good oil and, and having a lot of good properties that food processors want, you know,
1: our, our future is going to be on the food side. that's where we're going to see the greatest growth that's fantastic and it's fascinating john that this growth has been in place long before these tensions erupted in the black sea 67 percent growth over the past five years my next question then on the production side are we able to meet this demand through yield increases john or are you expecting to see more growers put more sunflower acres in the ground in the years to come actually it's, it's going to be a combination of both our yields have gone up you know we're averaging you know,
9: when I first started working at the association over 20 years ago, if you were to get a thousand, 1, twelve hundred pounds, that that was that was a really good sunflower yield. And now everybody's shooting for a ton or higher. I mean, if you get below a ton, most producers are disappointed because that's you know that that's kind of like the norm right now. And so our our hybrids have improved every single year. Um, yields continue to increase, and we're also going to see an expansion in acres too. I believe it's just one of those things where. Sunflower fits in very well in the rotation, especially in the central part of the U.S. And it's something that, that producers are looking at. And I is is prices stay competitive for our seed? I, I think we're going to see more acres.
1: John, I'm curious. If we're going to bring more acres into production, we're probably going to have more farmers growing sunflowers who have maybe never grown them in their lives. They don't have the experience. What sort of educational opportunities are out there for growers curious about rolling sunflowers into a rotation, particularly there in the central plains? Well, you know we we've been the last couple of years we've, we've been putting
9: on webinars for growers just a like like a, a 101 on sunflower production and it, it's been very well received we've had anywhere from two to three hundred growers every time we do this webinar and we do them in in the north dakota south dakota minnesota region but then also in the high plains region in kansas colorado nebraska and into texas um they've been very well received usually we have experts from whether it be north dakota state university or from K State or from CSU, um, you know, talk about how to grow sunflower. Uh, new trends that are in sunflower and it's been very well received. Plus, if if we've had very many, we've had a lot of calls here at the office. And usually, what I can try to do is find somebody who can mentor, you know, that new grower. Someone that that's an experienced sunflower grower in Colorado or in in South Dakota or in Texas, and and I help line them up. And it's been worked out very well.
1: That's fantastic. John, then if we've got listeners who are maybe curious about incorporating sunflower into the rotation, how can they get a hold of you? How can they keep up to speed on when those uh, sunflower 101 trainings might be coming?
9: Well, you know, the best way to do it would be to go out on our website at www.sunflowernsa.com. And it's the main resource
1: for all sunflower related questions and information nsa.com folks that's the national sunflower association we've been talking with john sandbach and he serves as the executive director and john thanks so much for filling us in on your industry today well thank you for having me on your program mike folks stay with us when aoa returns josh linville vice president of fertilizer will be joining us we'll talk about what he's expecting to see in fert prices ahead of this fall stick around more aoa coming up when we return
0: Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
6: Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike. Recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to ACERetirement.org now. That's ACERetirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
5: Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens.
8: Don't even know it. Eleven million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life.
7: So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early.
6: My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that.
5: Make
1: a plan today to get your eyes checked.
5: Visit BrightFocus.org to learn more.
1: This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. This week, we're talking with Joe Lardy, research analyst with CHS Hedging, about the recent USDA acreage report. Joe, what was the biggest surprise from the acreage report and why?
10: I think the biggest takeaway, the biggest surprise, I guess, would be the miss on the soybean acre number. It was so far out of range. And now we got to really kind of go back and look at all the factors that went into that. And then, of course, the implications of a much smaller acreage number really will have impacts, not only for this marketing year, but certainly into next marketing year as well.
1: Farmers put a lot more corn and a lot fewer beans in the ground than initial trade guesses had pegged. What do you think drove those decisions?
10: I think in this country, we really like to plant corn and the weather was favorable so we got the corn in you know it wasn't an all time record fast pace on the corn but it was early enough where when we've seen years that the window is open to plant on the earlier side when we've seen good fertilizer application and then we also just some modeling that we do in house and looking at some economics from more of an agronomic standpoint it really did lean things more towards the corn side
1: joe what's the takeaway from this latest acre- report for the farmer.
10: Expect to continue to see volatility and continue to look ahead towards those reports as days that could really help or really hurt somebody's outlook in their position and their profitability. So it's always a good idea to have your marketing plan ready to go and to be able to capture those opportunities when they happen and also to be able to protect yourself from big surprises that might move the market in a direction that you didn't want it to move.
1: That's Joe Lardy, research analyst with CHS Hedging. Joe, thanks for joining us this week.
10: You bet. Thanks for having me on.
1: And thank you for joining us here around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com.
6: In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800 209 six four one six eight hundred two zero nine six four one six. That's eight hundred two zero nine six four one
0: six. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. information farmers and ranchers need to know AOA now back to Mike Pearson
1: welcome back ladies and gentlemen AOA continues today and we're talking next with Josh Linville he serves as the vice president of fertilizer with StoneX and Josh thanks for joining us this week
11: absolutely how are you sir
1: I am doing well, Josh. I want to come to you first. We've been talking a lot today about the rising tensions in the Black Sea. Of course we see a lot of fertilizer come out of Eastern Europe. Have these recent uh, recent events done anything to the price of fertilizer that we need to be aware of?
11: Not directly. Of course, on the grain side, the whole situation has been the uh, you know stopping the flow of grains out of the Ukraine fortunately for the world of fertilizer, there's not a tremendous amount of fertilizer that's exported from that same region. So directly, no, there's not really a big big effect on the world. But on the flip side, as the situation has continued to escalate, grain prices have gone up. As grain prices go up, fertilizer has a tendency to like to follow that. So that's where the indirect situation has been. Higher grain prices has been starting to see a little bit higher fertilizer prices out there.
1: Aha, that makes sense. That's certainly a trend we've seen in place for the past several years, Josh. Looking out on prices then uh, then specifically, let's talk about side dress needs. I, I know we had a lot of dryness heading into this summer, and I was wondering if we had any folks refrain from side dress until maybe that rain came in, and did you see a push to get some applications done?
11: We did, uh, and in fact, it continues to linger on. Uh, typically by this point, you know, we're after the July 4th, we're well into the summer period, and most of the nearby needs, the nearby purchases are all taken care of and everybody's just looking at the markets generally. we still got urea barges in the Gulf of Mexico that are trading on a weekly basis saying, well, this week is worth different than next week that's worth different than the next the week after that. And that's because there's still so much of this side dress, so much of this just-in-time demand. Uh, it's a situation that I can't remember seeing in this industry, but it points to just how tight things have been and just how much demand has been out there last minute. It's you know something we talked a lot about this winter just-in-time demand was great. as we saw prices falling, hopefully everybody in the supply chain got to take advantage of that. But eventually, a just-in-time demand meets just-in-time supply.
1: And now, Josh, I mean, this time of year, we're coming to the end of July. It's hardly just-in-time anymore. Is there the potential that we could see some acres go unfertilized?
11: I don't think that's the case. I just think that, unfortunately, some of those that are in those regions are having to pay a little bit higher price. Uh, the logistics to get the product moved is just costing a lot more. We don't have the excess ton sitting around just waiting for that demand to show up. So it's almost frustrating on a lot of the farmer side where they're sitting there saying, I'm seeing a lot of these global patterns where prices have been falling, but I'm not seeing it here at home. And it's a big part of the logistics. Unfortunately, yeah, the global trend has been lower. But, unfortunately, it's costing more and more by the day to get that product there on time.
1: Yeah, of course, the challenge is it's one thing to get the product into the United States down there at the Port of New Orleans. Then it's got to come up the river or up the rails to the farmers that need it. Josh, given the logistics concerns we've had over the past several years, are there still lingering impacts from either a lower Mississippi or rail issues as you look towards
0: fall?
11: Absolutely. It's always going to be lingering out there Uh, with the rail. You never quite know when the next one is coming. Uh, Fortunately, it looks like everybody on both sides of the party are pretty happy, uh, pretty content. The river situation is certainly something we need to watch. Uh, you look at the drought monitors, a lot of area across the Midwest is uh, still dealing with some of those uh, low rainfall totals, and that's going to hurt the river. And as those flows get lower, like what we saw last fall, it's really hard to move barges. you got to lighten them. You can't move as many barges per tow. It impacts the logistics of it. And we're already going in. We came out of the spring about as tight as we've ever seen on urea, phosphate, and potash. U- UAN, also very, very tight just because so many couldn't get urea, so I had to switch over to UAN to find their nitrogen uh, needs. So there's a lot of material that needs to be moved to get ready for fall and next spring already. It's, you know, we're here in July and it seems like spring is a long way off, but it'll come here before we know it.
7: It will
1: indeed, Josh. Retailers are already gearing up for some of those programs. We've got fall programs for NH3, I, I understand, are coming out shortly. Potash programs are coming out. What are you expecting to see?
11: I'm thinking – I'm hoping that farmers are happy with the price drop that we saw, wh- what we're going to see versus what it was last year. Uh, prices are down tremendously from 12 months ago, so that's really going to help the the, the financial the, – the checkbooks. Of course, we need that with the way the interest rates are, but fortunately, I think the inputs are going to be significantly cheaper than what they were going to next fall. But with all the volatility we continue to see on the fertilizer, the volatility we continue to see on the grain, we're continuing to press that idea that – Guys, you know corn. Are we going to continue to see a five in front of it? If the fundamentals kind of point to a weaker market, if we're buying that fertilizer, make sure to consider selling the grain. Last thing we want to do is buy stuff today with prices going up, only to get the harvest and start selling stuff at a much cheaper price.
1: Absolutely. You know, as we head into winter, we're thinking about fall. Winter's not far away. Josh, we've seen natural gas prices uh, add some more headache to fertilizer pricing over the past two years. (laughs) As you prepare for this winter, does the industry seem like natural gas might be less of a concern this year, or at least price, uh, price spikes in that industry?
11: Yes, it, it, from a North America standpoint, the Henry Hub continues to be very, very cheap, and there's really not a lot of reason or not a lot of concern that I have heard out there from folks I have talked to that they think that that's going to skyrocket by any means. We continue to watch the natural gas market in Europe, that Dutch TTF. Now there are folks that are sitting there saying, "Oh my gosh, it's going to be a cold winter, and demand is going to skyrocket, and prices are going to skyrocket with it." Well, we said the same thing going into the last winter, and that certainly wasn't the case. So it is a factor we need to watch. But fortunately, you know, you go back and you see that Dutch TTF has $103 MMBTU last August, and it was just going to go higher all, all the way through winter. Now, those values for nearby months continue to be $8, $9. Uh, winter months uh, forecast, the futures market, 16 17 Prices are down significantly. Uh, it's a fundamentally different market than what it was.
1: Josh, I just want to make sure I understood those numbers correctly. Last year, natural gas in the Netherlands was at $103 per million BTUs. This year, it's at
11: $7. Uh, nearby, we have an 8 to 9. The nearby months, the futures have been trading there. Uh, the wow. Months, so we're looking November, December. Yeah, 16, 17. A significant drop off. But 90% decline. Do, That's right? incredible. Yes, it's, they're used to dealing with hard situations, right? They, they've done a couple wars. They know how to do things in order to kind of go with hard times. But, you know, uh, uh, industrial demand went down. Of course, the folks did what they could to back off. The industry did what it needed to do to solve the high price.
1: And it solved it indeed. Folks, that's Josh Linville, Vice President of Fertilizer with Stone X. Josh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. Right. And folks, tune in on Monday. We'll talk weather. We'll talk markets all right here on AOA. Have a great weekend, everybody.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
6: Why do you listen?
3: I typically listen here at work from my desk, on my way to work, in the morning. When we wake up, it goes on the radio.
5: I can hear a song and be instantly transported back to a time in my life that I enjoy remembering.
8: I think that's what I like listening to radio for, is just to stay informed on whether it's news,
7: sports, new music, anything.
6: Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today.
7: we can make a difference, bite by bite.